County Cricket, International Cricket, Test Cricket, Franchise Cricket, Red Bull, White Bull, 100 Ball Cricket. At The Cricketer, we care about the cricket you love. And that's why we've launched a brand new app built for fans of the English game. Download the Cricketer app and sign up to our Access All Areas Pass to receive agenda-setting journalism and illuminating storytelling straight to your phone. The latest news from the England camps, a dedicated daily service for fans of the 18 first-class counties and committed coverage of women's cricket. Download the app today and enjoy one month for free unlimited access. The Cricketer. We care about the cricket you love. Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka The Cricket Connoisseur, and on my left for today's special episode of TCCP is none other than Middlesex County Cricket Club rising star, Max Holden. So Max, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to get you on for a chat about all things County Crickets. I have to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? No, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I've, um, as I said to you before, listened to a few uh, few episodes, so a real honour for me to be um, to make the cut and be on now. Um, now my day's been good. Uh, we just had some training uh, at Lords with Middlesex. We're sort of coming to the end of our our winter training block. Um, obviously, got a new coach in now, so that's been exciting to to get going with him. Um, and yeah, it's been good. I've been off off to Arsenal later, so fingers crossed the uh, the day stays good. Um, but yeah, it's nice. It's been a good day. Yeah, fingers crossed we can get the win later. For those who don't know, or new listeners, I'm also an Arsenal fan. Fair enough, not from London, but uh, yeah, still a, a fan of the mighty Gunners since the Henri days. So fingers crossed, Arsenal, please, please win. <laughs> That's all we're asking for here on today's episode of the podcast. But fortunately, Max, for yourself and the listeners, we aren't here just to talk about Arsenal today, although it might crop up again at some point in today's podcast, I imagine, with two Arsenal fans on the podcast. We are, of course, here to discuss your county cricket journey to date. And as with any story, any tale, any journey, they all have an origin. So, Max, I'd love to know this. What were your first ever memories of cricket? How did you get into this magnificent sport in the first place? Um, yeah, well, it was, my, it was my dad, really, who sort of, um, I guess, kick-started my cricketing journey. Um, he was a PE teacher, so he loved this sport. Um, so growing up, you know, cricket, football, um, all sports, really, um, he sort of, encouraged me to play and sort of guided me and helped me um when I started off he you know taught me the basics of the game um football was actually my first love when I was you know really small but I actually got into cricket through um a club team through one of my my good friends from school um and then from the first session really um I just loved the game um loved everything about it obviously loved the feeling of batting and scoring runs and trying to get better there um and just loved the, the team aspect of it really um so I obviously started off with uh, the Cambridge U set up uh, from the age of about 10 um, and sort of played a couple of years in their, in their junior age groups before moving across to to Middlesex really but um, I suppose it's my dad who, who sort of initially sort of captured that love for cricket which he had as well and I sort of um, yeah like I said that from the you know the first sort of session I played I you know I've always loved the game and um, it's obviously yeah, brought me some you know good memories and, and um, some good friends along the along the years so um, yeah very grateful for sort of that those first few years with my dad and with Cambridge sort of first igniting that that love for the sport and um yeah really teach me the basics which I guess are still you know core parts of my game now you know even when you're young those those early fundamentals they sort of stick with you so that was um yeah important for me to to get that grounding to start. Well I'll tell you what Max it's a lovely journey into the game I always like that here on the podcast you know that real family and community kind of elements in those early years and quite clearly your dad played a massive massive role in those formative years in the game of cricket itself. But aside from family influences, I have to ask this, in the professional game, so either here in county cricket, the domestic circuit, or indeed the international stage beyond that, did you have any kind of idols, icons, role models that you tried to emulate in those early years per se and almost integrate parts of their game into your own? Yeah, I definitely say that. I think, you know, like I said, I've always loved cricket and loved watching cricket um and i guess for any young sort of left-handed batter you know looking looking up to someone like Alistair cook is always going to be always going to be there and yeah when i first started playing he was obviously at the top of the order of england for all those years and watching how he went about his business um it's sort of someone i've always looked up to um and you know just how 
clear he was in his game and how you know he had that air of confidence that you know he'd get consistent runs you know at the top of all England is not an easy thing to do so even sort of as I've got older um watching someone like him go about their business was always someone who I admired and um yeah looked up to obviously you know amazing to play against him um the last couple of years when he's been back at Essex and uh he was sort of probably my first um hero sort of growing up um obviously left-handed myself watching him um but to be fair I watched yeah I watched so much cricket and so much international cricket and I think when you're young especially you you often look at the the best players and think oh what, what could I do that you know um you know try and sort of emulate and see things they can do you know someone like A.B. de Villiers even other countries Ricky Ponting guys like that um I always you know I just loved watching cricket to be honest and uh yeah tried to pick up bits and pieces of um a few guys but I'd say yeah from a sort of hero perspective I'd say Asda Cook was always my my go-to man when it came to that um when I first started and yeah obviously English opening bats English captain um was someone I sort of yeah really admired and, and respected um what he did and obviously still uh still do now don't we all everybody loves chef he's an absolute yeah. legend England's all-time leading test run scorer the fifth of all time as well you just think of the company he's in with the likes of Ricky Ponting in second Sachin Tendulkar at the top Jacques Callis in third Rahul Jarvin in fourth what a remarkable cricketer and I suppose I have to ask Max as a follow-up to that if you could relive one Alistair Cook innings in an England shirt you get to go back and watch Chef in all of his glory which innings would you choose and why? I think it's got to be the Dinnies the Gabba I think in, in Brisbane when we um, they went on to win the win that series I think in the context of that obviously massive massive series um, obviously if we lost that first game I think it could have probably been very different and uh you know, under the pressure um, going into the series and obviously Ashes series, I'd imagine is the yeah the pinnacle of that sort of pressure. And um, Australia obviously got a phenomenal record at, um, at Brisbane, so I think to go and perform like that in um, in that innings is probably yeah the standout one for me. Um, I remember getting up in the morning, watching all the highlights of that. So um, yeah, I'd say that was probably yeah a special one for that I remember to, as one of his uh, one of his very best. Great choice. To be honest, there's so many to choose from, aren't there? Another one in theories the one that the mcg of course with trotty as well have to yeah, mention yeah. some warwickshire bias in there get a little yeah. flavor of the bears at some point in today's podcast and another one purely from almost like a strange kind of perspective in 2018 his final ever one at the oval i was in a geography a level class and our teacher absolutely loved cricket massive cricket badger and he put it on we were meant to be doing some i can't remember what the work was about to be honest which says it all, we should have been doing work. Yeah. <laughs> but he put on the cricket. It was absolutely incredible. We had a room of people just fixated on Alistair Cook and that innings. And when he didn't get to that 200, I genuinely thought he would have. He looked likely to get it at some point. He didn't. But that's just fantastic. And what a way to bow out. England winning that series 4-1 as well. What a player. And we're so lucky as well, aren't we, nowadays, to still watch him in county cricket. He's... He's just remarkable. One of England's all-time greats. And yeah, fingers crossed, Chef will not be retiring anytime soon. <laughs> and talking of the county circuit in particular then, because as many people will be aware, Alistair Cook, a great of Essex County Cricket Club, one of your rivals down south for Middlesex. But Max, in terms of county cricket, because we, we spent the majority of that passage talking solely about international cricket, how did you get into the county circuit in the first place in terms of age cricket, in terms of that system, that pathway into first 11 cricket? When did you first enter the county pathways as a cricketer? Um, yeah, well, I, I, like I said, I started with, um, with Cambridgeshire at the age of 10 um, in there you set up um, initially. Um, so I played, I think I played probably three or four years, um, three years, I think, of the, the Cambridgeshire U stuff. Um, at the time, the... Um, Cambridgeshire sort of emerging players coach um, knew the academy director at the time at Middlesex Graham West um, very well and uh, so I think when I was about 11 11 or 12 um, he sort of got in contact with Graham at, um, at Middlesex and asked if I could go down for a trial in their sort of emerging players section so I remember going down as 11 year old um, my dad drive me to finish I remember I was you know absolutely terrified and so nervous um, I think we did a fielding drill to start and I dropped about 10 of the first 12 captures or something. So I thought that's me done. Um, but no, so I was fortunate. Uh, so I was in their emerging players program for a couple of years while still sort of playing my matches for, for Cambridgeshire. 
Um, and then when I was 13, nearly 14, I got um, I got into the academy at Middlesex, um, which is obviously yeah, a very you know, proud moment for me. And um, I was uh, very lucky to get on that early, really. I think I was a few older guys on there, um, sort of like Tom Helm, Harry Pobble, Ryan Higgins, um, who were quite a bit older than me. So I was very lucky to be surrounded with you know other good players and good characters to sort of try and help um, push me along. And then from that point, I obviously played full time um, in the Middlesex youth stuff. And then um, Graham West was actually only academy director for one year while I was there. Um, and then that, the following year, Alan Coleman took over um, and he was very good at sort of giving me the opportunity to play second team cricket from a young age. I think I made my debut at maybe 14, actually. So against Warwickshire, actually, um, I got a pair on my debut as a 14 year old, uh, which uh, obviously wasn't the best memory. But um, yeah, so Alan gave me a lot of opportunities to play in the second team, probably when I didn't necessarily deserve to play on merit. But um he um yeah he gave me some opportunities and so I played a few years of that and I got my I think I got my first special contract at about uh well, 16 nearly 17 so I was still um, doing my A levels um so yeah sort of went through the pathway with Moses Academy and um yeah incredibly grateful for um, that academy they've obviously produced some you know some good players over the last few years and um I think with Angus Fraser over the last few years they sort of had a vision to produce a lot of their own players rather than um, signing you know a lot of guys in so. I was um, obviously fortunate to come through at this time where they've um, given a lot of opportunities and um, yeah, no, that's, that was sort of my my path into, into Middlesex. Well, I'm glad to be honest, Max, you've mentioned the academy there because as we all know in the county circuit, Middlesex's academy right now, one of the strongest in the country. They are producing some absolutely brilliant cricketers. They really are in that squad. It's a young squad in terms of those players coming through. But at the same time, there's a lot of talent, a lot of potential. And yeah, they are producing some serious cricketers down at the home of cricket. I just wanted to know, really, because you've been through that system, what is it that makes the Middlesex Academy so successful? Is there something that you can kind of pinpoint as to why it is just such a, a fantastic system at bringing up these young, talented cricketers? I think they're very big on... Um, developing people as, as um, human beings as well as cricketers and um, I think they sort of earmark sort of characteristics from a young age not only you know a player's ability but also their personality and um, character as well because so I think especially um, you know cricket's a tough game so I think having the right sort of person that you want in your team and the right sort of you know the right sort of attributes in your character to, to help you sort of develop and push on are quite key um, looking from um, within us um, and the guys we sort of um, produced I guess the last few years and I think the work ethic of the coaches and the players um, that have come through um, recently has been outstanding I think that's sort of something that Alan Coleman had drove initially and then Rory Coots has taken over in the last few years and obviously now they've both developed themselves as coaches and Alan's obviously um, in charge of the sort of Middlesex professional setup now and Rory's um, the assistant coach so they've obviously developed through with a lot of the players they produce as well which is um, you know, very well deserved for, for them but I think that that work ethic they sort of instilled in um, a lot of those guys has um, sort of held them in good stead. And also, I think that just the quality of training, the quality of coaches, the quality of other players around around you sort of pushes you on. You know, like I said, I was when I first went on, I was so lucky to have you know someone like Ryan Higgins who was um, three or four years older than me, and obviously you know um, far more developed and a far better player um, to sort of look up to and see how he goes about his business, see how he trains see how he takes care of all areas of his game. And, you know, for a youngster like me, watching someone like him go about their business every day, um, you're going to improve and you're going to develop because you want to try and keep up with them or push yourself to um, to match them in the drills and things you're doing. So I say, yeah, a lot of the sort of characters, characteristics in the, in the players have sort of been quite similar um, in many ways. And um, I think that's probably why they've produced, you know, those, those two coaches have produced so many um, guys who've gone on to play first-team cricket. Absolutely. And of course, for, for the Middlesex fans, long may it continue. You know, this almost production line of quality players, we're seeing it right now, aren't we? In, in recent years, Ethan Bamber, who was one of our most recent guests on the podcast, he's been absolutely fantastic. Tilamwal Alawis as well. Brilliant. How good was he in 2020? He was absolutely superb. And there's a whole slew of names, Joe Cracknell, yourself, Max, as well in recent years. We could keep on going on and on and on. The fact is the Middlesex Academy is quite clearly doing its job and producing some excellent cricketers. So, yeah, thank you for giving me some insights. That. that is very, very interesting to know that it's not just cricket, cricket, cricket. 
they're looking beyond that as well but also the quality of the the training the facilities and of course the staff definitely major factors behind the academy's success for the saxes but aside from the saxes max because you didn't actually make your county debut for middlesex you came back to them in 2018 you actually made your county debut for a certain east midlands county northamptonshire county cricket club so I have to ask, how did that loan move in 2017 materialise in the first place? I think it was towards the end of the, or probably right at the end of the 2016 season, um, which obviously Middlesex won the, the championship then. I remember sitting down with, with Angus Fraser and obviously at that point, you know, the Middlesex batting line, that was you know, incredibly experienced and incredibly, incredibly good. Um, and I was sort of had a very, you know, I'd had a pretty good couple of years in the second team, um, and I felt I was relatively consistent at that level now. And I felt I sort of needed, you know, a chance to maybe go away and play some, you know, some first team cricket. And I was fortunate that, that Angus actually sort of almost instigated it for me. Um, and he said, you know, he, he agreed and he, he thought obviously with the, you know, the likes of, you know, Compton, Robson, Gubbins, uh, Voges, Franklin, those experienced guys, it was going to be a very difficult lineup to sort of break into. And he said um, that Dave Ripley from Northampton had been in touch um with him and and uh, sort of explored the possibility of me going there and um yeah so i, I did the, the winter's training at, at middlesex i went down to north Hats a couple of times and met met rips and some of the players and um yeah from the first moment i sort of went in there i i absolutely loved it they're um they're amazing county I'm, I'm so grateful for the the opportunity they gave me um particularly rips as the head coach um i remember being i was obviously a bit nervous i don't know they're really good at middlesex I was only 19 um, or, or 20, I think, or 19, actually. Um, so yeah, I was nervous, but he was very welcoming. The group of players they had there, they had some really good experienced guys um, like Roy Kleinbell, Richard Levy, but also just a, a cool group of good experienced county players um, led really well by Alex Wakeley. And they were they were fantastic at sort of welcoming into their group. And um, I think some of their pride themselves on is having that amazing team spirit and team culture. Um, which obviously is brilliant. Obviously, from an outsider, it can be a bit daunting maybe going into that. But they were they couldn't have been better for me and, uh, and welcomed me in. I went um, to Barbados on a preseason tour with them, um, sort of get to know everyone, and then yeah, and then I started the started the year with them, and um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I think um, they were they were terrific for me in my development, and um, yeah, gave me my first taste of, of county cricket really. So I'll always have um, yeah very fond memories of of that spell there. Um, and yeah, it, it gave me an opportunity to then break into the Sets team um, at the back end of that year when I made my debut. So um, yeah, it was an amazing time and uh, experience for me to have. Well, that is absolutely lovely to hear. And no doubt that there'll be some nice smiles on the faces of the North Ants fans tuning in to today's episode, listening to that passage. They are a lovely club. I love North Ants because they might not have the, the massive facilities of a Surrey or Warwickshire or Lancashire, but they've got a real community sense in that team, in that club, in that organisation. And you mentioned David Ripley, one of the best county cricket head coaches in the last decade, without a shadow of a doubt. The T20 revolution that he led at North Hans in 2013 and 2016, taking a club which in 2012 was not even competing in the format and making them two times champions in the space of four years, what an incredible coach and a lovely bloke as well. Came onto the podcast a few episodes back, gave us some lovely, lovely insight. Can't say enough good words about him or indeed the club itself. Definitely a club to, to go down and visit if you're in the Northamptonshire area. And talking of your debut, Max, what can you remember from that game against Loughborough MCCU? Do you remember your exact scores? Do you remember kind of the, the ebbs and flow of the match? What can you recall from that first-class debut? for the East Midlands County. Yeah, well, I remember being, you know, obviously incredibly proud to make my debut. I think, you know, like I said, you know, from a, from being a 10-year-old, I'd always gone to watch first-class cricket and um, and always dreamed of, of playing. So to get, it all game, came around quite quickly, really, because I wasn't necessarily expecting to start um, the season for North Ants. I thought it was sort of going to be, you know, in the mix and hopefully get opportunity at some point. But um, yeah, like I said, um, Rip sort of gave me an opportunity that first um, game against Loughborough and, uh, I remember actually it was quite funny playing against uh, Robbie White, who um, who was at Loughborough University at the time, and um, he he's one of my best mates, and I've I've known him from the the moment I sort of joined Middlesex really. So I remember bowling my first ball in county cricket against him, which was quite amusing. Um, but yeah, I think I got 19 in the first innings, um, and I managed to get 50 
a 50 in a second, which is pleasing. Um, but yeah, I remember being, you know, a bit nervous and also I wanted to, to take the opportunity to, you know, get some runs because I really wanted to obviously then start the, the first championship game. And I knew Ben Duckett didn't play that game, but I knew he obviously was going to come back um, to play that first game. So I wanted to sort of do do myself justice to, to try and push my case forward to, to play that first game. Um, but yeah, they were really emotional, obviously very proud to, yeah, to make that, to play that first game, really. I, you know, I thought from that moment, you know, I'm just, at least so I can, you know, say I played first class cricket and was a first class cricketer, which is, um, which is what I dreamed of doing. So, um, yeah, proud moment, a bit nervous, but um, yeah, it went okay. So I was pleased to, pleased to get off the mark and, uh, and yeah, get a few runs. And yeah, you certainly did get a few runs. Exactly spot on, by the way, 19 from 34 balls in the first innings. Let's test your cricket badger knowledge, Max. Do you remember who dismissed you? I do, yeah. It was um, Basil Akram, I think. And, it was indeed, uh, yeah. yeah. It was, he, he, bowled, he bowled me. It was actually a very good ball, pitched on leg, hit top of off. So not much I could have, uh, could have done about that. But um, yeah, no, I think I actually got him out maybe in the, in the second as well. So we got uh, it was one all, one all. So we'll take that. Spot on, spot on. I was told by Ethan Bamber, you're a bit of a badger, Max. That has been <laughs> proven right there. Spot on as well, yeah. Caught and bowled him in that innings. Figures of one for 44 from 10 overs. And then 75 not outs in the second innings. That's a pretty good debut. And you know what? I'm just looking at that Loughborough side. Got the likes of James Bracey in there. Robbie White, who you've mentioned. That was a lovely moment this summer, wasn't it? When he scored his maiden ton. Absolutely fantastic to see. Had the likes of Charlie Thurston, who now plays for North Ants. You had Canada's Nitish Kumar as well, which is quite interesting. An associate player, yep. Hassan Azad, Sam Evans, and Essex's Sam Cook. So that was a pretty strong Loughborough side, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was very strong. And um, I, actually, it was a good game. I think it was just a draw. But they, um, I think I remember that year they competed with a lot of the, I think they played three county games and they, they competed in all of them. And yeah, lot, you know, it's no surprise to me that a lot of them have now gone on to, you know, to play pretty regular first class cricket. Um, and yeah, no, so it was pretty um, pretty surreal playing against Robbie, but um, he uh, gave me a bit of banter from Vinyl Stumps, which was um, which was good fun. But um, yeah, no, they were, they were a very good team, actually. They were indeed, yeah. And as you said, rightfully so, lots of them county cricketers and doing well in county cricket as well. Sam Cook and James Brace, I suppose, as well. Both of them playing for the England Lions. Brace made his debut for England. H. Baston, didn't he? Brilliant, brilliant young player, James Bracey. I know he got off to a pretty, well... A rough start to international test cricket against New Zealand. But let me tell you, James Bracey will come back at some point. That is my bold prediction for today. I think he'll come back in the test setup at some point. But aside from that first year at North Ants then, 2017 aside, we move on to 2018 and we go back to Middlesex County Cricket Club. Max, what can you remember from your debut for the Saxes? Because you'd made your first class debut for North Ants. But what can you remember from stepping out onto that field for the very first time as a first 11 player for your boyhood county? Yeah, I think, yeah, pride again would be the overriding emotion. Emotion, um, You know, like I said, I, I joined when I was 11 years old um, and, you know, went to Finchley all those times and the memories of, you know, my dad driving me up and down the A1 from Cambridge to get to Finchley, you know, picking me up after school. Um, skipping school early sometimes, which um, my parents weren't so pleased about to go down and train and um, put on the ads at Finchley. And, you know, through all that, obviously looking at the first team squad and looking at the players and just wishing, wishing um, you know, to be to be part of that one day and play for them um, was always the dream. And to, to do that, get presented my cap um, by James Franklin, um, the club captain at the time. Um, yeah, just an amazing feeling. Um, it was actually at Lords, my first game. It was at Uxbridge and... Uh, it, it was very rain affected. So I remember sitting around for two days waiting to, to get an opportunity to, to um, do anything in the game. But um, yeah, it was an amazing feeling. And um, yeah, Middlesex were actually on the, well, obviously ended up going down that um, that season. But so it's quite a, you know, sort of pressurised game. And um, obviously I wanted to, to do the best I can. And uh, I remember going out to bat with Adam Voges. Um, I think they lost, I think I batted five. So we lost a few early wickets. And I was out there with Voges and he was just, so good at keeping me calm um, and uh, on the job at hand. So it was great to sort of get, walk out with him um, for the first time, Millsex shirt. And um, yeah, that's, you know, I'm unbelievably proud to, to get my cap and um, yeah, be part of the, you know, such an amazing club with um, such big history was, um, yeah, you know, a great feeling. I can imagine it was. And yeah, not many finer people 
to share a crease with, I suppose, or share the middle with in Adam Vogers. I remember in 2015, that was his Australia Test debut, and he scored a ton against the West Indies at Windsor Park in Dominica. Just a nice piece of trivia for the listeners out there today. But yeah, he was fantastic. As you said, really level-headed, cool, calm, assured, collected. And not a bad place to make your debut either. I actually had this conversation with Ethan Bamber the other day about Uxbridge, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, Max. Do you want to see Middlesex play there again? Because the counter-argument to it is that it is a bit of a batsman's paradise. It can be a bit flat at times. You can score a lot of runs. But would you like to see Uxbridge back in the rotation alongside the likes of Radlitton's and Merchant Taylors? Yeah, I think so. I think it was um, yeah, I had good times playing there. We, when I first started in the in the second team, we played a lot more cricket there, and um, yeah, I obviously enjoyed it because it was um, it was pretty good for batting. But I think it's also a very nice ground, um, nice place to go and play. And um, yeah, I think it's just part of Middlesex's history, really. I think obviously Lords is is always going to be our home, and um, you know the main part of the of the club. But I think you know um, over the years they played a lot of cricket at, at Uxbridge, so I think it'd be a shame um, sort of not to play there again, I guess. But um, yeah, it'll always, obviously, whether we play there or not, will be um, always quite special for me because, um, yeah, where I first um, first played for the club. So, um, yeah, always be special. Fingers crossed they return. It's a lovely ground as well, isn't it? With the, the old-style pavilion, I absolutely love Uxbridge. Lovely, lovely place. Can't say I've been there for a game, but hopefully, fingers crossed, when Middlesex return, <laughs> I will be able to because, yeah, I've only been there, I suppose, as a tourist to Uxbridge. I need to go there for a game. Middlesex, make it happen. I want to tick it off my outground bucket list. But talking of the Saxes then, Max, what would you say in, in retrospect, in hindsight so far, has been your real highlight for the London-based club? Is there one moment, one particular highlight which really stands out to you above any other in a Saxes shirt so far? I think for me, um, the period, I think when... Um, I think it was 2018 towards the back end of that season. Um, it obviously been another pretty disappointing um, year to date um, for the club. Um, but Richard Johnson took over um, as interim coach at the time then. And um, he sort of brought in a lot of the, I, I played a bit that year, but um, towards towards the end, he brought in a lot of the other young players, um, you know, the likes of Ethan Bamba, Robbie White, Martin Anderson, who were, who were like I said, who were guys I'd come through the, the system with all the way. And um, he sort of created a really nice, relaxed um, sort of family and um, good atmosphere in the dressing room. And we actually went on a really good run as a side in those last, I think, five games of the season. And to be out on the pitch with, you know, four or five, six of my, you know, genuinely really, really good mates was, um, yeah, amazing time. And we actually, like I said, won a lot of games at that period, um, sort of the back end of the year. And it probably, you know, overall was still a disappointing season, but I think that little block um, was sort of a glimpse into what we could do um, in that environment. And um, I think, yeah, to be out at Lords with, you know, four or five of your good mates and even the, you know, the senior players, we all got on so well and they, you know, the atmosphere was brilliant and we were winning. I think that little period for me will always be, you know, a very special, um, special time. And um, yeah, I'd say that was probably the highlight of, um, yeah, of my middle sets career today. That's interesting you mentioned that. I wasn't quite expecting that, to be honest. I was thinking more along an, an individual milestone because you've you've scored centuries across all three formats. You're one of just, I believe, four Middlesex players to have achieved that, which is, yeah, a nice stat, to say the least. That's a pretty good history to be making. That's interesting. Is there a reason for that, Max, in terms of your cricketing perspective? Are you very much team-focused as opposed to individually focused? Or was that just because you're out there, you know, spending that quality time, you're playing professional cricket, with mates who you've grown up with all of these years? Yeah, I think definitely. I think obviously, you know, like any player, I love doing well and, you know, you know, scoring the hundreds middle sex and, you know, scoring the T20 hundred was, yeah, unbelievably incredible feeling. And um, I'm really proud of, of doing that. And um, yeah, they were, yeah, yeah, special days again. And I'm, I'm pleased with that. But I think for me, um, coming through at Middlesex, I care deeply about the club and really want to do well for, Middlesex and like I said um, being such a close-knit dressing room um, and being close to a lot of the guys I've come through the pathway with I think the feeling of being out there as a team um, winning a game um, for Middlesex with your mates I think that's always going to be 
a better feeling for me than you know doing well individually because obviously that's fantastic and yeah I'd be lying if I you know, didn't really enjoy those times um, like anyone would but I think that little period in particular um, doing that with with your mates is you know that's what gives me the most sort of fulfillment I guess and the best feeling and I think that's something we're really fortunate to have at Middlesex and I think that will hopefully in time um, produce good results but I think having that environment where you know everyone's genuinely so pleased for each other when they do well um, has each other's backs um, and is all out there all, all out there trying to do the same thing I think that's the that gives that's the pinnacle for me I think um, well above sort of individual success and uh, and things like that I really like that answer I will say that because obviously as you've just rightfully mentioned the individual milestones the accolades the achievements are all very good but front and center is the team and of course the team's success so I like that answer, Max. A very selfless answer, I must admit. So, yeah, I rate that. I really do. <laughs> because, trust me, <laughs> there's quite a few individual ones to choose from. In particular, that century in the 2020 T20 Blast. I mean, that was an incredible knock, by the way. What was it 102 not out from 60 balls? Something like that? Yeah, no, that me. was a good day. Yeah, that was a good day. I think, um, yeah, growing up, I've probably always been predominantly a Red Bull player. And... Um, yeah, I've put in sort of quite a lot of work in the over the last few years in my in my work with stuff. So that was um yeah, pleasing to to be able to do that. And probably a few years ago, if you'd asked me or someone else whether I was sort of capable of scoring T twenty hundred, they you know, they would have probably said no. So yeah, that was um yeah, satisfying to be able to do that. I can imagine it was, yeah. And actually I have to ask this as a batsman, Max. I can't believe I actually haven't asked this so far in the podcast. What do you say is your favorite aspects? of the craft itself what is it about batting which just keeps you coming back time and time and time again what is it about the art form itself which is just so appealing to you in a cricketing sense that's a very good question i feel like i haven't really necessarily um thought about it too much before but um i would say to be honest that the fact that it's, it's it's difficult to be honest um and the fact that you never really you know you never you never mastered the game it's always going to come back and um punch back as um so to speak and i think the, you know always striving to get better um technically mentally all aspects of your game is something i really sort of try to do and um yeah it, it's difficult and there's going to be um times where it doesn't go to plan as um has definitely happened in my career um so far um there's been ups and downs for sure and i think that's the thing that almost keeps you coming back though the fact that okay, what, how am I going to get better? How am I going to, you know, guys might have worked me out a little bit. Am I going to try and change things or is, is what I'm doing the right thing to do? And I think the, you know, the work and the training and um, yeah, all the, all aspects to it, you know, obviously batting in particular, there's obviously a big technical aspect, aspect to it, but it's also, you know, a big mental game as well. So there's so many areas of your, your life and your cricket, you can develop to try and um, get better. And I think I really enjoy the challenge of, you know, going to training every day, trying to get better and trying to sort of be one step ahead of the the bowler because, um, yeah, obviously, like, it's a, a massive team game cricket, but when you're out in the middle, it's it's you against the bowler and um, it's about finding ways to, to come out on top more often than not and, um, yeah, making good decisions and, um, yeah, sort of the... It's a probably long, long-winded way of answering it, but I suppose the challenge of, um, yeah, trying to develop the best I can sort of brings me, um, brings me into work every day um, trying to get better. Good answer. I must admit, very, very nice answer that, Max. It was interesting, actually, to gain some greater insight into the mind of a batter because I'm a tail-ender personally. My batting average, 11.5 in village cricket. You're not going to see me in a Warwickshire shirt anytime soon opening up the batting like Dom Sibley or Rob Yates. But I have always thought that very interesting because coming from a bowler's perspective, obviously not a very good bowler, it has to be said. But obviously, we want to get one over on the batter. And yet... If you are a batter, it's the opposite, isn't it? You want to get your own back on the bowler. You want to almost dictate the tempo, put them on the back foot. It's fascinating. And that's one of the reasons why I love cricket so much, because it is that constant battle between bat and ball. And the key thing to learn, actually, I suppose, from a young age, is the fact that sometimes it's all going to go perfect. It's going to go swimmingly well. You're either going to score 100 or take a fiver. But then on other days, things aren't going to go so well. You're going to get out early. You're going to go for a lot of runs. You might have some missed opportunities and dropped catches, for example. But that is just the ebbs and flows of the game that we call cricket. And Max, that brings me beautifully onto my point, actually, 
about the tougher aspects of the game, because here on the podcast, we do like to explore the tougher elements of the game of cricket. You mentioned in particular the mental and psychological toll that the game has. What would you say, first and foremost, is the most difficult thing about batting? What is something which really does present those challenges and make it more difficult to be successful in the craft itself? I think it's the, yeah, the almost dealing with failure aspect. Um, I think, you know, particularly as you get older and um, sort of the levels go up, I think obviously that, you know, the sort of the persistent runs maybe you've got when you were young, maybe draft a little bit and um, being able to really deal with the, the inconsistency, the drops in form um, are something that I think the best players can do really well. But I think it's a, it's a definite struggle for, for lots of batters. And I think being able to, maintain belief in your game or maintain belief in what you're doing over a period of time when things don't go well um, is obviously very important and um, that's probably something I've learned the last few years is you know that like you said you know failure is going to be part of the game and um, it's about you know finding ways through that and being able to cope with that which is um, a lot obviously a lot easier said than done and I think being a batter um, in England there's obviously going to be you know plenty of times when things don't go your way and I think um, having the sort of resolve to go back, go back to the nets, work hard, um, while still having that inner belief that you know um, the tournament, you'll, you'll turn the corner and um, and come out the other side. I think that's um, something from a mental point of view. Um, yeah, is such a key to you know to batting. Well, if you don't mind me asking, actually, Max, I just want to explore that a little bit further because you mentioned there about dealing with failure, and in particular with the bat in hand, you are going to. You know, you're going to fail a lot more times than you succeed. It's an unfortunate truth in the game of cricket, but you do have these really odd dismissals. Sometimes you play poor shots. You might get it done by a beautiful piece of bowling, but the fact is even the most successful batters on the planet don't always perform. I mean, look what's happening with Virat Kohli. All of that pressure mounting on one of the game's greatest ever players. How do you personally deal with the way of expectations as a batter, because I imagine at times you do set high standards for yourself. Obviously, you're a professional. You want to go out there, perform for yourself, for your team, and of course, for the wider club and the fans. How do you personally deal with those expectations? And do you have any kind of coping mechanisms to ease that strain, per se? I think it's something that I've had to really develop um, recently, I think, in my, in my career. I think um, obviously, I had ups and downs growing up, and when I initially played first-class cricket, there was clearly times where I didn't do as well. But I think, looked at my career, I probably the first couple of years were you know reasonably successful for me, and I then ended up going away with the Lions um, the, the year after my first full season with Middlesex. And I think to that point, things were going quite well. I was pretty confident in my game, and yeah, I was able to be you know relatively consistent. I think after that sort of Lions tour, I probably put myself under quite a lot of pressure because I sort of you know, thought things had gone well, and it was a bit of opportunity to me for me at the start of the year to to hopefully carry the carry on and keep pushing forward in my in my career. Really, and I, I think I put myself under too much pressure looking back and demanded too much of myself to be consistent, to work hard, and to work harder. And um, yeah, I think looking back, that was probably a mistake, and I probably should have been a bit more calm and um, realized, you know, just keep doing what I've been doing to get me to this point. And um, yeah, the, everything else will sort of take care of itself. But um, yeah, I think I put myself under too much pressure. And, you know, probably since then, there's been some really good times, but there's probably been not as consistent as I would have liked. And um, yeah, I think it's probably, it's, yeah, it's obviously hurt me to not, to not be, to not do that as consistently as I um, once did. And um, obviously still trying, striving to get that back. But I think in terms of coping, um, I think for me, working hard is always the answer. And um, I think there's no sort of, recipe for success and you know it's, it's working hard and finding your own way of, of being successful fighting through the the dips in form and um like I said I think keeping that that inner belief that what you're doing will work and um yeah I think having that that faith that it's part of the game lots of people have gone through it and um you know people come out the other side um of those things and I think speaking to to older guys who sort of gone through different things they often say that you know, the times when it's when you're not as successful and the times where you don't do as well is actually looking back on their careers where they learn the most and end up being a better player um, long term um, than they would have been if they hadn't experienced um, any of those things. So hopefully that's um, that sort of 
calming for some players who, who are in that state because they think, okay, well, I'm going to learn as much as I can in this area and keep working hard with the with the faith that I will sort of come come through the end of it. But um, it's definitely something I've you know I'm not preaching like I've um, I've been the master of it because I think there's been yeah times in the last couple of years where I've coped with those sort of things um, you know pretty poorly, and um, I think that's part of the sort of learning process of of young players, I guess, to go through that. And um, yeah, it's it's hard it's a hard thing to go through, but um, I think hopefully it makes you a stronger character and a, a stronger player. It most certainly does, but it is incredibly difficult, isn't it? Especially when you have had those successes at a younger level, I suppose, at a younger age, because it almost is expected of you to continue that upwards trajectory into first 11 cricket. And unfortunately, for the vast majority of players, that isn't how things turn out at all. But the key thing in particular in the game of cricket is maintaining that even keel. It's riding the wave. And as a batter in particular, you've just got to have that mindset of there's always a big score around the corner. And that's what everybody remembers. When we talk about the great Sachin Tendulkar or Ricky Ponting or Jacques Callis or indeed Sir Alistair Cook beforehand, what do we remember them for? Do you remember them for the poor shots? No. The LBWs? No. The clean bolts? Of course we don't. Remember them for the centuries, the match-winning knocks. And that is the key thing to understand and that's something which comes with time isn't it Max I think I thought you articulated that absolutely fantastically it's all part of the learning process in the game of cricket as a young cricketer and this is going to be a difficult question quite a profound one to be honest but you mentioned there about suffering from those tougher times earlier in your career in retrospect and in hindsight what advice would you give to a younger Max Holden in terms of dealing with those better how do you think you could have dealt with that better at the earlier stage um yeah i think to be honest, I, find, I find it hard to quite hard to give advice but i think at that point of time it was maybe something i had to had to experience and um i think it probably brought out some emotions and um feelings that are probably sort of hidden underneath before um but because i was doing you know reasonably well i was able to sort of keep on top of them and um not think about them too much but i think it's almost i think looking back now as it's probably a good thing that it's happened and um, I can come up with ways of, of dealing with it to, so it doesn't sort of happen in the future. But I guess the advice would be, you know, like I said, I think once once I got back from the Lions tour, sort of building into that season, I was I was probably looking a little bit too far ahead and because everything had sort of happened quite quickly in my career at that point. And, you know, all of a sudden I was off with Jason Roy and the Lions tour. It was like an amazing thing, obviously. And um, I was grateful for that experience. But, I think it probably meant that I was then coming back to Millsets, put a bit too much pressure on myself to play like some of the guys I was away with um, on the tour. But they're obviously a lot more, lot older, a lot more experienced. And um, yeah, so I think I probably would say to, to take the pressure off myself a bit more and remember that I play cricket because I enjoy it and that's what I've always done. And I love working hard and I love enjoying the game. Um, and I think that's the, the thing I would have come back to and I probably would have told myself, yeah, two or three years ago, that that's the key for me and not to, you know, I don't play cricket to, to put myself under extreme pressure to do well all the time. That's not what it's about. It's about, you know, going out there and playing, playing all sets of pride and also having a lot of good times with your with your mates. So I think that's what I would have said to myself. But, you know, having said that, I think I don't necessarily regret what's happened in the last couple of years. That's part of life and things aren't always going to go your way. And there's still been some good moments in that, in that time that, um, that have been great, but um, it's almost I'm almost in a way pleased that I've gone through that and hopefully um, turned a bit of a corner and um, learned from it and um, yeah, more experienced now and uh, more aware of, uh, of different things. So yeah, that's that's probably what I'd say. Hundred percent. Again, it's character building, isn't it? It's about building up and reinforcing that inner steel, the fortitude, the grit, which will set you up on the right path to success in the game of cricket. It is a shame, though that, you know, players have to go through that. I always say this all the time, but then again, it is the unfortunate truth of, of cricket. It's a tough game. It's a really, really tough sport, in particular when you get up to those upper tiers. We are talking domestic and international cricket beyond that. It's tremendously, tremendously difficult to deal with. And actually, before we get on to the teammate segment, because that'll be a nice, light-hearted way to kind of wrap up today's proceedings, just one final thing, actually about those pressures, those expectations, Max. And that's social media. This is something which we, we bring up quite regularly on the podcast because I'm always intrigued to find out 
how different players, you know, kind of manage the expectations of social media, given the fact that in this modern world, everybody has an opinion. As we see on Twitter, Twitter is a fantastic platform, but at times people do overstep the mark. Things do get a bit too abusive. Things divulge from criticism to just outright abuse, and that can be problematic. How would you describe your relationship with social media in terms of that critting sense? Would you say it's been a positive tool or would you say it's been almost a little bit negative at times as well? Yeah, a bit of, bit of both. I think obviously it can be a you know, really positive platform. Um, obviously I'm on um, different types of social media and I use them. I think initially when I probably first started, I'd read a lot more than I do now. And I'd sort of um, read people who tweeted to me to me or read you know comments about middle sets and things like that um and i think that was a probably a mistake and i think now i you know particularly during games and stuff i would never read too much about what's what people are saying and things like that and i think that can only have a negative um influence on you and how you're feeling and, and how you sort of perform i guess um so i try and block that out i'm obviously yeah I, I use social media i go on it quite a bit but um yeah i try not to to read now what people are saying about me or what people are saying about middle sets but i think that's that's when you know the negativity can can sort of come in really um and obviously that's sort of yeah wrapped up i'm sure at uh, international level as well but i think for me now it's important that i i guess the only opinions that matter too much really are mine my teammates my coaches um the people i respect because they're the people who know exactly what's going on every day and i think that's something that people forget that um you know cricketers are only human beings and they they, they're the same as everyone else. They're not machines. They could just go out there and um, do well every time. And, you know, people have different things going on. Um, and I think, to, you know, I think obviously people don't understand they're entitled to their opinion, but they don't understand that. So I think for me now, there's, a, you know, a few people's opinion I really respect and listen to and um, try and learn off them. But I think other than that, um, it's important to probably try and stay out of other stuff because they don't know the full story and uh, anything like that. So... Um, yeah, like I said, I'm on social media. It's definitely got a, a place, and I think it can be can be positive if used in the right way. But I think it's something to to obviously be wary with, particularly you know guys who've gone on to to play at a high level and play international cricket when that exposure's you know obviously even higher. So um, yeah, say for this year, I won't during games and stuff. I definitely won't go on um, social media too much. No, that's incredibly wise. It's best not to eliminate the white noise, whether that is both positive and negative. Again, you have to maintain that evenness, that calm head over the course of the season. And it is interesting that you mentioned the fact, the, the human behind the cricketer, because this is something which we try to portray on the podcast. And I think the fact is in counter cricket, I think that the players are very open to that as well. There isn't this kind of facade of, oh, look at me, I'm the mighty counter cricketer. And or the lowly village cricketer. Everyone seems very, very normal. And I actually quote a, a brilliant, brilliant quotation. And it was from Ethan Bamber's piece with yourself, Max, for opening up cricket, heads in the game. It's a great series. And it was from Sugar Ray Leonard's coach. And he said, I don't work with fighters. I work with men who fight. And that's something which can be applied across all sports, across all disciplines. The fact is there is a person behind the competitor and it's so, so important for us as fans to recognise that and be understanding of it as well. I mean, if you look at professional cricket nowadays, there's so much pressure, as there is, with social media. You've got your family expectations, you've got your own expectations, you've got the club's expectations. Players are fighting for contracts at the end of a season. They've got all of that pressure already. I would just say to some fans out there, let's not add to it. Let's not add to those problems. That doesn't mean you can't criticise because criticism can be very, very positive indeed. In the long term, good, valuable, constructive criticism can lead to someone improving. But when it's constant, when it isn't helpful at all, and when it is just borderline abusive, we just need to cut that out. Just need to cut that out. That'd be my advice for today's episode. But yeah, we'll keep on saying it on the podcast. It's something which I do want to see reducing, especially on Twitter. Okay, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen on Instagram and Facebook, but I feel like on Twitter in particular, sometimes we do just need to cool things down ever so slightly. But talking to social media, Max, aside from the, I suppose, the, the negative aspects of it, let's talk about one of the positive ones. And that is, of course, our, our teammate segment, TCCP teammates, because one of our first questions for today, for those who don't know, first of all, how this 
segment works. Basically, I've just got an assortment, a variety box of questions for Max Holden to answer about his teammates at Middlesex County Cricket Club. But our first question today, actually, I suppose, is the, <laughs> the phone addict. Max, who's always on their phone at Middlesex? Who cannot get enough of the social media? Who's always selfies uploading to Instagram? Who can you not take a phone off of in that room? Um, yeah, good question to start with. I think I'm probably one of the, the, the one of the main culprits. I think if you ask one of the the senior Middlesex guys, someone like Toby, you'd probably give me a hard time about it because I think some of the, the slightly older guys are a bit um, bit hot on making sure no one carries on too much on social media. But um, I think someone like I don't know someone like Jack Davis is pretty pretty active on there and um, likes to make sure. Um, his filters and stuff are all good on his Instagram um, so I'd say yeah Jack Davis would be yeah the main sort of um, big Instagram user and uh, big on the old socials yeah you know what I should have called it the dressing room influencer that's a note that I'm yeah, going to yeah. make for the next episode that would have been a much better yeah. one than the phone addict there we go dressing room <laughs> influencer our first one of that newly coined term is Jack Davis from Middlesex in terms of the next one oh goodness Max this is a classic here on TCCP, who is the teacher's pets at Middlesex, who is always hanging around the coaches, wanting those extra hours in the nets. Who would you say that applies to? Well, I've got, obviously got a new coach now, Richard Johnson, so I think everyone's been on there. Um, he's off to take over full-time now, so everyone's on their best behaviour. Um, but he won't mind me for saying it, but I think Steve Eskenazi is very good at that. Um He's obviously you know, he's a very popular popular guy, one of the one of the best players of the team. But he's very good at sort of making sure he gets a few extra throwdowns off ramp for cash, the batting coach, or anything like that. And he's sort of in the coach's pocket, um, chatting ideas and things like that. He's always bouncing ideas off the coaches. So I'd say he's he's around the coaches most of the time. Um, so yeah, I'd say Steve Eskenazi would be would be my teacher's pet. But I think he he would be very unhappy with me saying that. Well, yeah. Steve, if you're listening, if you are tuning into today's episode. You're always welcome on to provide a rebuttal <laughs> to that, uh, that teacher's pet name tag. But fair enough, Steve Eskenazi, I think his name might have cropped up before, you know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, I guess you're not considering that you chose him <laughs> in that particular segment. Moving on to our next one, Max. This is a, a regular, well, relatively new one, actually. In fact, Ethan Bamber was the first one to have this question aimed at him. Who has the strangest pre-game ritual? at Middlesex County Cricket Club, is there anyone who, before they go out to bats or gamut onto the field, does something quite peculiar or quite unique, shall we say? It's a good question. I wouldn't say we're the most superstitious bunch. I think, if, if, if I'm asking who's the strangest, I think that'd be Sam Robson. But I don't think that he necessarily has the strangest pre-game routine. I think the strange aspect that, of him is he could be doing absolutely anything. Um, on any particular day, but then when he gets out there, he's he finds his, himself in the in the in the zone more than anyone really. But um, yeah, I don't think I think if anyone's got superstitions, they keep it to themselves. I don't think anyone's particularly um, yeah out there with their wearing superstitions before they go in. But I'd say the best person to watch before they go out would definitely be Sam Robson because, like I said, I think he could be yeah he could he could be doing anything um, to get himself ready to go. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a really funny guy and. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone, you know, has got a particular uh, special sort of uh, thing they do before they go out. But um, yeah, I'd say Sam Robson would be the yeah the best watch to to get himself prepared. What makes him so interesting to watch? I have to ask. In terms of the unpredictability, what are the kind of things that he does before he goes out to the bat? I'd love to know this. Like <laughs> you know, I honestly, I, it's very hard to describe Robbo as a, a human being. He's um. Yeah, he's probably well, he's up there with the most popular person in the team. But I think the fact that he absolutely could be doing anything, it'd be different on each day, but he is the most focused, um, single-minded batter out there once he gets in. But he could be talking about a load of nonsense. He could be one day he'll be quiet in the zone, one day he'll be bloody doing anything. And, um, he could, yeah, he could be doing anything. But um, yeah, I'd say Robbo would be the, yeah, the, the one for that. The box of tricks before he goes out to bat. But I'll tell you what, he yeah. worked. He's a prolific run scorer. He is. Sam Robson. He is, yeah. Yeah, so fair play. Don't change any time soon, Sam. That'd be my advice <laughs> on today's episode mm-hmm. of TCP. Or moving on to the next one. This is the real classic here at the podcast. Max, you are going to have to throw someone 
under that metaphorical bus at some point. Who are the best and worst dress at Middlesex County Cricket Club? The best dress, I'd say, is Luke Coleman. He's very well dressed. He he does enjoy a bit of a, a bit of a loud shirt on a night out, but I think he's, he, you know, he fancies himself with the gears, and I do, yeah, I do enjoy it. He gets a bit of a stick to them, but I actually think he's he's well dressed. I think the worst, the worst is very easy. I'd say two players, um, at differing ages, but they dress very similar. Um, in Robbie White and Tim Murta, um, it's the the stereotypical dad wardrobe, I'd say. And especially for Robbie, I think it's more embarrassing. Obviously, he's only in his sort of mid twenties, but he just he makes no effort whatsoever. And I think the good thing about him though is that he get he gets so much stick, but he doesn't care. He just he'll wear whatever. But he just literally, you know, your classic dad clothes he'd wear. Um, and yeah, Tim Murphy's obviously he's got an excuse because he's he's nearly fifty now. But um, Robbie doesn't have as much uh, much of an excuse. So I'd say those two would be yeah comfortably the um, the worst dressed. He's almost 50. <laughs> All right, so he's not far off, is he? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that, that took me off guard a bit then. I thought you were about, <laughs> you're on about Tim Murter. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think Tim Tim's name's popped up so many times for that one. As you said, the, the quintessential dad, you know, in terms of the, <laughs> the very old school fashion sense. Luke Coleman, to be fair, he was dressed quite sharply when he came onto the podcast. So yeah, can't really argue with that on. one. To be fair, he's got some some decent fashion sense. Or moving on to our next one. This could be an interesting one, this, Max. I'm not sure if we've asked any of the Middlesex boys this. Who do you say is the most likely to get timed out during a game of cricket? Who's really slow getting the pads on? I would say, I, I would have said Robbo, but he's opening. So he he obviously, you know, he's got a bit of time to get ready and he knows he's going to be in. But I think if he didn't open, it could well be Robbo because he could be, he could be anywhere. He might not even be in the ground. Um, but who's sort of in the middle order that could do it? You know, I think Luke, it could be Luke again, unfortunately. I don't think, he, I think he could be a bit of a way with the fairies. Um, he could be, uh, he's a bit of the dressing room joker. So he could be cracking a few jokes in the change room. All of a sudden he's out there, but um yeah, no, love Lukey, but I think he could be he could be the one for that, unfortunately. But yeah, if Robbo if Robbo later in his career slots in at five somewhere, I think he could be he could be in trouble for that. But um, yeah, I'd say Lukey in a number eight or seven or eight, I think he could be in trouble uh, one of these days. Well, fingers crossed for the, for the Middlesex fans that doesn't come to fruition. We don't want to see him get timed out in the middle of a game. <laughs> Although it would be funny for neutral fans yeah. and obviously for the opposition, but maybe not so much for the team in the moment and actually relating to that before we get on to our final teammates question Max have to ask have you ever had the nightmare when it comes to not being able to get your pads on in time yeah I think I think definitely I think 99.9% of cricketers have probably had that I don't think it's any different Um, whatever level you're playing you definitely um, definitely have that wake up in cold sweats hoping that um, never happens yeah, that is a shared experience, not just across the county circuit, as you said, across cricket. I've got to be honest, I have a good way of dealing with that as a number 10. I just get my pads on as soon as the number five gets out. So if there's a hat trick, <laughs> double hat trick, if you want to call it in the Aussie term as well, I'm there, I'm ready. I'm there waiting <laughs> and come good out plan. and score. Score a quick tuna out from eight balls at the end. <laughs> Easy game. Yeah, exactly. Well... It really isn't, my goodness. When I say two for eight, that's edge down to third man and maybe a clip off the pads for one. Goodness me, you don't want to watch me bat, Max. Crikey. <laughs> that would be painful. But moving on to our final one then, and this is always the interesting one here on the podcast. Who is the most likely to appear on Love Island? It's a very good question. Um, I'd say who'd be best value on there? I'd say Joe Cracknell would be very good on there. I mean, he's got a girlfriend, um, so obviously he wouldn't go on. He won't like you saying that. But um, I think he would be, he's very funny, um, good value on night out. Um, I think he'd be, yeah, he'd just be good value on TV, I think, to watch watch him in there. I think maybe they could, yeah, him and Luke as a double act going in there. You know, I think they have late entries that go in as a pair. So I think him and Luke Holman, they, um, they've grown up together at North Middlesex. Um, so I think those two going in there together sort of spice things up. Um, they they sort of they get into sort of these petty arguments. They're, I think they're best mates, but they sort of always bickering with each other. So I think those two on there would be 
um, yeah, the best value TV um, anyone could wish for. I think watching those two in there, so I'd say those two. I have to ask if those two did, and obviously it's not going to happen because it's during the cricket season, and nobody at Middlesex wants to see them gallivanting around on the Love Island Villa when they should be playing for the Saxes. But if those two were to go on Love Island at some point, maybe as you said, as a double act, who do you back to win the entire <laughs> thing? Neither of them, definitely. They'd be they'd be out there pretty quickly. I think they'd um, about the pair of them. I think I think Luke would last longer. I think Luke's Luke's got a good chat about him, and I think Luke would be um, he'd last longer. But I don't think I don't either of them would sort of be um, be there towards the end. But um, I bat Lukey bat Lukey to last a bit longer. Well, there we go, folks. We have learned something from today's episode. Luke Holman, <laughs> Mister Love Island, in the Middlesex dressing room. We'll have to wait and see, <laughs> Luke. I'm just saying, if you go on there one day, you've got to represent county cricket well and win the entire thing, right? No, <laughs> no, like, what is it, first round exit? I'm talking like it's a FA Cup game. I don't know how the Love Island voting system works, but if a county cricketer is to go on there, you've got to make it far. You've got to do the circuit proud. That's all I'll yeah. say. <laughs> and Max, aside from teammates then, just one final question, and quite a personal question, considering that we're not that far away from the start of the 2022 county cricket season. What are your aspirations heading in to this year for Middlesex? What would you like to achieve from both an individual and a team perspective in 2022? I think from a team point of view, it's a, it's a really exciting time. I think, um, like I said, with the new, new coaching set up in, I think everyone's sort of um, got a lot of energy going to training, trying, um, trying to prepare the best we can for the season. Um, we've got Shaheen coming over. Um, from Pakistan as the overseas player for the start of the year, which is obviously a phenomenal thing for the club. And he's, you know, the last year has been, you know, up there, if not the best bowler in the world across all formats. So I think everyone's really excited for him to come over. Um, Pete Hansen coming back as captain for his second year and he led us really well last year. So I think everyone's really excited to, to get going and see where this group can sort of um, go for the year. And I think, you know, obviously from Middlesex's point of view, I think, you know, we really want to be, you know, I think Middlesex cricket, um, County Group Club has to be in Division One and competing for those major honours. So I think it's our our sort of responsibility as a group to get us, um, you know, as near to that as possible over the next few years. And um, I think the group of players we have, um, if we perform, you know, as well as we can, hopefully we can um, we can push for that. But you know, also compete across um, across all formats. Really, I think our, we've got a big enough squad and um, good enough quality and experience in there now to to really push for that. Um, yeah, and individually. Um, yeah, I'd like to be more consistent, of course, particularly in Red Bull cricket. Um, I think Mike Ball's been more consistent for me the last few years, but find an element of that consistency um, back in my Red Bull game and, um, yeah, contribute to, uh, yeah, because the win to Middlesex is always the, always the goal. So, fingers crossed so I can uh, do that as much as possible. Well, Max, it goes without saying, but both myself and everyone here at the County Cricket Podcast, wishing both yourself and Middlesex County Cricket Club all the very best heading into this season, I think 2022 just has the makings of a really compelling county year across all formats. To be honest, you mentioned Shaheen Shafridi. What a fantastic piece of business that is. I'm very, very tempted to go down to Lords and watch him in action firsthand. He's a magnificent bowler, will slot beautifully into that Saxes seam attack. And you mentioned there about Division 2. Division 2 is going to be so competitive. With the likes of Knotts in there, Durham as well, Middlesex, you've got teams which are improving in the in the forms of Derbyshire and Leicestershire as well. Goodness me, it's going to be a bit of a dogfight, but at the same time, I think it's going to make for some really, really compelling cricketing action in 2022. And of course, if you're in the area, go down and support your county. That is the most important thing, I suppose, heading into this year. Just go and watch them, whether that's live at the ground, buying tickets or indeed on the live streams. Just support county cricket. That's one of the most pertinent lessons to take away from today's episode. But Max, that is pretty much it for today's recording. Just before we say our final goodbyes for the episode, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, anything like that? Uh, no, I won't promote my social media because it's a load of rubbish I post on there. So no one wants to follow that. Um, but yeah, my Grey Nick's my bat sponsor, so I suppose I um, can promote them. And they've, uh, yeah, I've, I've been with them since I was um, 15. I think they're the best in the business. So um, I'd like to promote Grey Nick's. But um, yeah, if anyone uh, wants to see some poor social media content, they can go to 
Max Oldham for um, for my Instagram. But um, yeah, I wouldn't advise doing that. But Grey Nicks would be who I promote. Fair enough. Max, it is podcast tradition to leave the social media channels below. So listeners, if you want to go and follow Max on social media, please feel free to do so. The link to that can be found in the podcast description below on our Podbean website. But that is pretty much it from us two here at the Cancer Cricket Podcast for tonight's episode. Once again, Max, thank you very much for taking the time. And of course, you're always welcome back here on the Cancer Cricket Podcast for a chat about all things county cricket. But that is it from us two here Pleasure. at TCCP for tonight's recording. To all of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.